we are back on Brainchild with me, Patricia. This is a place where we unlock our potential in life and in our careers. Thanks for tuning back in from wherever you are in the world. I've been tracking the audience demographic and we're seeing listenership from all the different parts of the world. I want to hear more from you. If you have a story or a guest suggestion, please let me know. You can message me on Instagram. I will leave the links in the descriptions. And also, if you can leave a five-star review for Rainchild on Apple Podcast, that would also mean a lot to me. Finally, I will stick to this uploading schedule so you can expect a new episode on Wednesdays. Uh, in the morning or evening, wherever you are in the world. And I'm aiming for four new episodes each month. So if there are five weeks in a month, the last Wednesday will be a little break for you and I, just like the break I took last week. So moving on to this week's episode, you may have guessed by the title, but I'm doing something a little different. If you watch the TV series Friends, you've heard Phoebe uh, talk about the idea that lobsters mate for life and calling someone your lobster therefore is calling them the love of your life. So on this topic, I decided to bring in two of my best friends from Cornell, Jane Lee and Andrew Kim, to talk about finding a life partner in college, growing the relationship in your chaotic world of your 20s. These two lovebirds, they met each other at Cornell and just graduated from the hotel school last winter. And we're going to hear about how they're transitioning into their quote-unquote adult life now that they're out of college. So let's bring them in now. Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. What'd you have for dinner? Uh, we made kimchi jjigae and mm-hmm. a bunch of grilled meat. Mm-hmm. And we have a dessert in the oven that is in progress. I know you used to cook every meal at school. Do you miss it? Or are you glad that you get to eat out a lot in Seoul now? Uh, I'm definitely glad I get to eat out a lot. Um, but more so because there are a lot of good restaurants in Korea than uh, me considering cooking to be tire- tiring. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on finally finishing Cornell and almost graduating. I know you haven't had your piece of paper yet, but... <laughs> At least it's official on the transcript already. Oh, good, good. (laughs) Let's first talk about college. Um, The three of us had met on the first day of orientation at Cornell a couple of years back, and we were all transfers into the hotel school. What kind of expectations, if you remember, um, did you have going into college at the time? Um, I think for me, uh, it was kind of a weird transition back into college because before Cornell, I had spent two years working uh, in the restaurant industry as a chef. And I remember um, thinking that, wow, like working the real world is really hard. But at the same time, it gave me a sense of um, going into college and finishing my bachelor's degree, what exactly I wanted to get out of it. Um, And that's actually one of the reasons why prior to going to Cornell, um, after finishing my two-year associate's degree, I didn't transfer right away because I felt like going to college just for the sake of going to college would have been a waste of money if I didn't have a good sense of what exactly I wanted to learn. And working in the industry for two years really gave me a good sense of that. Uh, So going to Cornell, I felt a little more ready to be in college, I would say, uh, since I knew that, you know, I applied deliberately to the hotel school because I knew they would give me the skill sets that I would want to supplement my experiences from the Mm -hmm. restaurant industry with. 
so I kind of had that um, excitement from knowing that I felt like I was in the right place. I had a similar experience for me. Going to college initially was also to actually find, you know, something that I would enjoy for the rest of my life, which I realized soon that was quite impossible. It was quite difficult um, to just find one thing. Um, but similar to Andrew, I came into the hotel school thinking this is definitely the industry for me, and I was very excited to kind of narrow down. Um, to one expertise, kind of in one within one industry, instead of dabbling in a lot of different subjects. Um, but there were definitely a lot of unexpected results from that expectation. Um, for example, I thought I was going to go to FNB for sure, um, possibly even open a restaurant or something, um, but. You know, after learning so much about it, after delving into all the different hospitality subjects, it seems very tough to do that. Not to say that it'll never happen, but at least not right now, maybe in the future. Um, and I mean, I'm kind of left with not really knowing where I am right now, where I stand. Um, even though I definitely still have my passion for the hotel industry. Mm -hmm. I am so sorry, I forgot to do this, but can you guys introduce yourselves, where you're from, and what did you study before coming to Cornell? Uh, okay, um, my name is Andrew. I'm from South Korea. Uh, prior to coming to Cornell, I studied um, liberal arts. Um, I'm Jane, and I'm from Hong Kong. Prior to Cornell, I was studying psychology um, in Claremont, California. Mm -hmm. And did you um, grow up in the States? Did you grow up in Asia? Uh, in my case, I've sort of been all over the place. I was technically born in the US, but my family has also <laughs> lived in Hong Kong, South Korea, England, and Singapore as well. I've been in Hong Kong my entire life before university, so not that interesting. <laughs> well, it's always interesting to hear the different walks of life. And I know we've been best friends for a long time, but I don't think we've ever sat down to talk through the thought process of why we wanted to study hospitality and how our thoughts have shifted over time. So I also studied psychology at Boston University before. And I think my career goals have changed at least six times over the past four years. <laughs> and I, I kind of circled back to uh, media now. And I think I am very happy um, paving my way now. But who knows like where I'll end up in five years. <laughs> As for me, I think I need to first graduate to take some time to process what had happened. But I'll always like appreciate the tremendous amount of opportunities that I had for growth but we'll, we'll come back to me in a bit. So when we first met, first day of orientation, little did we know that some of us would come out of Cornell with not only a Bachelor of Science degree, but also a potential life partner. Uh, for me, I haven't graduated and I don't have a partner, so I'm not talking about me right now. <laughs> I think all of our friends could easily think of you guys or the both of you as a couple, the couple that has a mature and stable adult relationship. And I know you had to put a lot of effort and time into that as well. And you're continuing to develop the relationship. 
do you guys want to tell us like how you first met and how the relationship began? Yeah, Andrew, you and can do it because you've done it every single time. <laughs> sure. So. Yes. Um, I honestly think it was just um, by opportunity. Both of us had come into Cornell as transfer students. And uh, I didn't know this until we got accepted, but apparently Cornell creates a separate uh, sort of inter-Cornell uh, Facebook page for all the transfer students to communicate with each other before they come to Cornell. Um, so I first noticed that... Uh, Jane was from Hong Kong, and since I'd lived in Hong Kong, I uh, became immediately interested and decided to strike up a conversation. Um, our early conversations prior to attending Cornell were kind of um, very disparate. Uh, I remember trying to uh, talk to her through Instagram, and I'd leave a comment, and then there'd be some, maybe a few days in between, and she'd reply back, and then I'd wait a few days before replying back. Uh, not intentional, just... Um, very busy that summer and whatnot. Um, and then we finally got to Cornell. And ironically, that was the first week of orientation uh, was the most difficult time for me to try to get to know Jane because we ended up in separate orientation groups. Uh, mm -hmm. So I had many an opportunity to see her um, from a distance and wave at her and she would wave back. Aww. But you know, that, that, that would pretty much be it for our interactions. Uh, we really started interacting a lot more once school officially started uh, because, you know, a lot of Cornell students in the hotel school end up having to take the same classes, the core classes. So there is a greater chance of meeting each other uh, throughout the semester. Um, and because of the similar classes that we were taking at the same time, trying to give each other help in terms of assignments um, and prepare for tests and stuff, we ended up spending a lot of time together. Uh, I also remember distinctly the first time we went on what i suppose we would call a date now is uh i asked her out to the ithaca farmers market um which i thought was i don't know it, it seemed like oh wow this is such a cool thing like ithaca farmers market so iconic you know, <laughs> you know we we haven't been there before and both of us talked about how we were interested in fmb so this might be a good starting point um Funnily enough, it ended up becoming a, a three-person date because I ran into one of my uh, former uh, former college friends there who was working at the bakery stall in the farmer's market. Uh, but from there on, I think a lot of the development in our relationship came from long conversations. Um, and I, I think one of the things that drew me to Jane a lot was the fact that she was really interested in talking about not just, you know, standard things that girls like, whatever that uh, that may be. Uh, but, you know, anything that I thought was interesting that I wanted to discuss, uh, even on an intellectual level, she would meet me there. Uh, so I remember we had like a lot of different conversations ranging from just like very funny, like, oh, what would you do if the world ended to very philosophical questions about what we think the real definition of love is, what it means to be human, things like that. And I think the perhaps the most iconic example of that is when we went to a friend's house for a dinner party um, and everyone left at maybe around nine. Uh, Jane and I stayed there. Uh, the host fell asleep and we were just talking on his couch for maybe, I want to say... The host was Samay, know, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Samay. Um, we, we talked from 9 p.m. to 6 in the morning, um, you know, without even falling asleep. Uh, and I think that's kind of when I knew, wow, this is the person that I really want to spend more time with and get to know and perhaps become my life partner is, um, and I think that really solidifies one of 
our core philosophies that, that we continue in our relationship, which is that conversation and communication is perhaps the most important aspect of a good relationship. Um, from an introductory standpoint, it lets you know the person a lot better and a lot faster than you know most people do. Uh, but also, if it also gets rid of any potential misunderstandings that might occur uh, very preemptively. And I think that's um, how Jane and I eventually got drawn into each other a lot more. That was a beautifully polished, well-said answer. I give it an A+. Plus. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Anything else that you want to add, Jane? Mm. We always emphasize how important communication is. Um, and we definitely keep reminding each other of that even now, but I've realized that actually, surprisingly, the closer we are, the harder it is to communicate consistently. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really sure why that is on my, on my part, at least. Um, but possibly because you get to know the other person more and sometimes you just consider a lot more things before communicating and, that actually hinders the positive aspects of communication. So, yeah. I definitely yeah. agree. Um, I think it's uh, the more you get to know each other and the closer you become, uh, the more you start thinking about how what you say might affect the other person. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, there's more weight to what you say. And that that's kind of what ironically, as you get to know each other, uh, re makes communication require more effort on e each party's part. Mm -hmm. That was very interesting to hear because I actually have always wondered and I wanted to ask you guys, do you think your relationship dynamics would have changed if maybe for internships you've been apart for a couple months or you had to be apart for a long time or you maybe didn't live very close to each other while you were at school? Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it would have been very different. Um, I myself am not a very good communicator on our 21st century um, gadgets. I don't, I used to love texting. I don't really do that anymore. I find it, I don't know why. It's just, I never really find myself wanting to always talk on um social media or whatever, I prefer meeting the person in person. So um, it would probably have been a big hindrance to our relationship because I would have to get used to, you know, FaceTiming or video calling or calling on a phone frequently. And I am not very used to that. Um, so, but who knows if we were, you know, busy working or something, might not have been that big of a problem because we would have our own things to deal with. And then at the end of the day or something, just kind of gather together again and kind of update each other on each other's lives. Yeah, I think um, it's obviously hard to tell without actually having gone through it um, because we were fortunate enough to have internships very close to each other or in the same location. Um, I would like to think that uh, we would have been okay. And the main reason I say that is because although I did spend a lot of time in Jane's place uh, while we were studying together at Cornell, a lot of the time that we spent together was actually in silence, either focusing on our own assignments and then talking to each other uh, if we had questions about something. Um, so in that sense, we 
were already kind of like apart um, while being physically close to each other. I guess the primary question would be then, um, would the physical distance be the main, um, you know, variable there? Um, I have a feeling that while it would have had some effects uh, because of the way that we spent time with each other and got to know each other well, it wouldn't have had as significant as an impact as maybe a couple going through a long distance relationship for the very first time. Mm. Watching other couples our age, I think successful relationships come if you are kind of a similar type of people and similar personalities. So if you're both independent people and don't need a lot of communication, like frequently, and you are okay spending a lot of time by yourself and sometimes reconnecting that works out for some people or uh, other couples tend to be together all the time and that's how they maintain the relationship but what was interesting about you two as a close friend who's watched your relationship from a close distance is that you are both very independent people and you value your own time and space but also somehow make it work being very very close to each other for a long time and so I think that's why I thought of this question and always wondered how that worked out for the two of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think if we had nothing to do, you know, so if we both kind of just was perpetually on holiday and we had nothing to really think about, it would actually probably come as a hindrance that we're always together because there won't be anything independent time Mm. and I think everyone does need some independent time even if we're physically in the same space so similar to what Andrew said being in the same space can still be independent time if you're doing your own thing Mm -hmm. Um, and I think maybe most some couples have a hard time kind of being in the same space but doing their own thing we just didn't happen to have that problem which is um, quite nice yeah, I think um, the uh, because of what society says love is and what society says like a couple is, the idea of being together and then not talking to each other is like a very like awkward and strange concept, uh, but understandably so. Like even if I think about it like just in my head, it seems like a very weird thing. But I would say that being able to get used to silence and like not thinking that that's a bad thing is uh, probably an important thing to kind of embrace as a a couple together. Mm -hmm. It also must be possible with the right person because I don't think I've reached that level of comfort with another person other than my parents yet. And I hope to discover that sometime soon as well. It's tough. You you kind of have to just, you learn about yourself, obviously, every day. And once you're very comfortable with yourself, then you kind of have to break the next barrier, which is, you know, not caring that someone else is judging you or, you know, just kind of being comfortable in your own shoes and letting the person know right from the bat that this is me, take it or leave it. Like, obviously not to the extent that, oh, I'm never ever gonna change or even the person who I love, but more so, um, you know, I have a core identity, I have my core self, and that is going to forever be there. So, you know, if it doesn't match, then it doesn't match, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not trying to 
force it, not trying to force anything um, into like a relationship, I think is probably the best way to end up with someone that you'll be completely comfortable with. Okay. I'm sure you heard this a lot, but a lot of Cornellians end up marrying each other and they meet each other in college. I remember I was in a job interview and my interviewer, who was a Cornell alum, told me that his he met his wife at Cornell and that was how that was the best thing that ever happened to him in his life. And even, I don't know if you remember, but when we took the Dean's Distinguished Lectures on Fridays in our first semester, the first class, lecture the dean told us to look around the auditorium because a lot of us will find uh, and marry each other and I think I was personally very hopeful at the time Um, (laughs) you guys were talking to each other then right were you guys thinking of each other at the time or do you not recall this I I, when did did it start in some after we started dating already I think that lecture might have been a bit early yeah okay like in the timeline of the interactions Jane and I were having. Uh, so I, I, I would say that at the time when I heard that, I was hoping, <laughs> but uh, not necessarily expecting. Oh, I was just about to say that um, I feel like during that time, I was probably like, well, I really hope I do find a life partner. I wasn't necessarily thinking of a person, but more the statement she was making that I do mm-hmm. actually hope to find a life partner here because that kind of has also always been a side goal of mine in university that I would find someone finally, you know, right for me, especially because I get a fresh start, you know, going from my high school, which I was basically at for 14 years, you know, um, and then moving to a completely new place, I basically have a fresh page to start on. And so I was yeah, quite hopeful. Hope you, <laughs> that it would happen. And I'm glad mm-hmm. it did. What about you, Andrew? Did you go into college thinking that you did want to find someone? Or was Jane uh, a lucky charm that stumbled upon your life <laughs> unexpectedly? I do distinctly remember saying that she was like an angel that kind of answered my hopes. Oh my gosh. Um, but to, to kind of tie this into answering your question, um, I think I was thinking about it in terms of, yes, I do want to find a life partner here. And I was hopeful that I would because, um, and this kind of goes into answering your question about why so many Cornelians end up with each other. I think it's because it's a place that's diverse and not diverse at the same time. So it's diverse in the sense that there are all sorts of uh, races, people with a variety of experiences uh, who, who've come together into this one place. But it's also not diverse um, and very similar in the sense that people are within a certain age range. Uh, they're all there to you know, get their bachelor's degree or something similar. Um, so that combination of like kind of differences and the fact that we're all in a similar space, I think allows for an easier time for people to meet each other and interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and also make it a lot easier for people to understand each other uh, much quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what ignites a lot of relationships is that they're they're basically ex- existing in a space where it's very easy to make friends and get to know each other and even want to get to know each other, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that is, and I can say this from experience working uh, in, in the restaurant industry, it's really hard to match in the real world. 
because uh, for example, when I was working in the restaurant, uh, our crew was comprised of me who was um, just a college student at that time, someone who was over, over 50 years old, and then a bunch of people in the range of 20s to 40s, all in, in between. You know, we had some people who would like to just finish work and go home right away. Some people who love to go drinking after work uh, because there was such disparity in terms of experiences and what people were expecting out of their lives at that particular point in time. It was much harder to get to know each other or try to spend time with each other, to, even if you were interested in, in a person. So I think because that disparity is eliminated in an environment like Cornell, um, that's really what promotes and allows people to get into a lot more relationships than they would outside of uh, college. I think Cornell also is just like the perfect size. I'm not really sure what the exact size is of Cornell or other universities, but I have a feeling that, you know, if you usually start small, so your radius, the diameter of where you're finding is kind mm -hmm. of within your own college first. But if that fails, you can kind of expand, okay, next door, who's next door, you know? <laughs> and then you kind of kind of just keep expanding because there's so many colleges in Cornell. It's large enough that you can find almost anyone really, um, mm. but it's small enough that, you know, you can still, it's still kind of in a safe area. I don't know mm -hmm. how to explain I know what that, you mean. Um, but um, you can find like everyone. <laughs> and experiment around and really come back and you'll still have space to explore um mm -hmm. while still kind of having a high chance of finding that right person if you do it like properly mm -hmm. and it's perfect because it's a you know closed campus kind of situation too if this was like nyu or something it'd probably be mm -hmm. so difficult yeah I also thought like the geographic location and how just like weather wise and workload wise, how we have to endure hardships together. Maybe that brings people too mm -hmm. <laughs> together. Sure. I've had to bring this up because, well, obviously we all know that finding a partner in life is a big deal. And a few days ago, I was listening to uh, a motivational speech by Warren Buffett. And it was like one of my YouTube breaks. And so I just pressed the button and he was talking about a few important things in life. And of the many things he listed, he said the biggest, the, mo the most important thing was to find a partner because they are the ones who can shift worlds for you. And he said the partner doesn't have to be a significant other. It can be a business partner, a project partner. But for him and his experience, uh, having a life partner had changed many things for him. So I don't think I actually really thought about that. I always thought of relationships as I've only thought about the romantic aspects of relationships, but then um, just going through maturing in college and especially having you guys as my best friends. The way I viewed relationships definitely changed a lot over time. You guys are literally best friends to each other and you can literally talk about a glass of water or anything in the room <laughs> we actually can yeah. <laughs> you can and that's that was so like refreshing to me and so my values have changed a lot too <laughs> yeah um i would say i we probably me and you patricia we probably had a similar view on relationships before um i my view on of relationships actually probably changed the most after talking about relationships with my mom um 
and kind of thinking about life in a more holistic way. So um, we have so many relationships in our lives with friends, you know, with family, and then obviously with your love, your significant other. Um, and I think from a young age, we separated them all. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very distinct categories. And we kind of take for granted that it always stays distinctly apart. Mm-hmm. And every part of that would forever be there, which I think while I was growing up, I realized that's not true, right? Everyone ages, you know, there are unfortunate things that happen in life. So friends could disappear, family could disappear too. And that's, I think, why it's so important to find that life partner, because they're supposed to be the ones that hopefully stays with you through everything, even when your friends or your family, you know, kind of shrinks or whatever um and so when you think that way then it makes sense that while wow, finding a life partner can shift worlds mm-hmm. i was always against like finding a significant other at a young point in your life because i always thought you need to figure out your yourself first and you have to be completely perfectly established in your career but looking at you guys again uh <laughs> changed my perspectives about that i think it's also a great experience to just have someone root for your growth and just to watch them develop as an adult as well just having an unconditional family and friend to exactly do everything with yeah <laughs> yeah throughout the different stages of your relationship if you can distinctly pick out the different phases do you think there was time that you needed more attention and focus and effort into the relationship? And after you've built a foundation of trust and an understanding of each other, do you then go on to shift your focus into like other projects or growing as individuals? Does that make sense? Hmm. Oh, that's I a tough re- one. I can reward it. <laughs> um. I think uh, I think the first kind of stage that comes to mind is after establishing the relationship. I remember, um, for the most part, I felt like I was uh, kind of dating a best friend. Um, and then at some at one point, Jane and I had a conversation about like where the relationship was going because she also felt too that we were dating kind of like as friends like and what exactly is the line between just being together with a best friend and actually being a significant other or a lover um and i remember thinking that that's kind of a tough question because a lot of the things that i would do for you like i would do it because i consider you my best friend and like just in general i'm the type of person who would take a bullet for a best friend um, so at first it kind of felt like uh, there wasn't really much of a distinction. Um, but then I think after uh, time passes, the distinction starts to create itself in the way you feel your attention is divided, for example. Um, so for, like back in the day when I was working in the kitchen, I'd be the type of guy who would just like take everyone's requests equally and just, you know, because I, I work with everyone. Everyone's my comrade in the kitchen. Uh, but I think... Um, there is when I'm dealing with Jane um, and spending time with her, there is a distinct um, 
I'm not sure what the right word is, maybe instinct to kind of prioritize her and think about things in her perspective, I guess, first, uh, before moving it along down like the rest of the, the chain. Um, and I, I think that would be kind of like the, uh, that realization would be kind of like the threshold, I guess you would say, from kind of the initial just, oh, like we got to know each other and we're, we like each other phase to uh, starting to move into a more serious part of the relationship. Uh, would you say there was like another stage? like that Well, that? I, I, I was actually, I wasn't really sure what you were going to say uh -huh. at that point, because what I was thinking was, I kind of clearly remember saying that, well, to be honest, the biggest difference between best friends and life partner slash lover is basically the physical aspect of a relationship. Oh, uh, yes, that's true too. Because like, I don't want to make out with my normal best friend. <laughs> oh, like, I'm, well, <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I think having that attraction is actually one of the key things in distinguishing whether you're just best friends or you're mm. like lovers because mm. I don't know. I'm not asexual either, so I don't know what asexuals think, but you know, mm. I don't know how that those work, those relationships. Well, keeping it PG-13, then how do you keep the flames alive for a long time? I think what's interesting is when I watch dramas or movies or anyone else really apart from us, like I find it cheesy or weird or like, oh, when, when, they're, <laughs> when they're acting all cute with each other or mm -hmm. they're saying really like just ridiculous things to each other. But what I realized was once you find find that person for you, that stuff just really naturally comes out. You're not even trying. Yeah. You're not trying to act cute. You're not trying to say these weird things to each other. It just kind of comes out on a whim. So, <laughs> like, I guess really mm, that sort of always checking in on each other, um, you know, yeah, um, I think that's kind of how you keep flames going. You don't, you never feel too comfortable. That's important. Like, you never read, not to the point that you need to feel anxious all the time, but you know, you can't just think, okay, now we're life partners, we've established that or whatever it is, and it's going to stay like that forever. I don't need to do anything anymore. Like, nothing's going to change because everything. Ch every day every second is you know everything is changing so keeping that effort going mm. to to communicate to show your affection show your love show that you appreciate the other person you know is how you keep the flames going yeah i agree it's like i i think the biggest um uh realization i had in that respect was that the simple things matter a lot um, I, I used to think that like, you know, at this point in the relationship, we spent so much time with each other and we're so serious about each other. How could something as simple as, for example, getting her a doll from a crane machine, like make her happy? <laughs> like to me, in my mind, like that's not enough. So that's not even worth doing. But over time, I realized that like, those are the kinds of things as they happen, like actually contribute to the relationship more than you would think. Um, obviously not to say that like oh like because that's the case like all you have to do for the rest of the relationship is get her a, a doll like 
once a week. But, you know, I think it's important to realize that even small things can have a big impact um, unexpectedly. So it's important to like not just think about it from your perspective, but kind of like expand it to realize that, oh, like, you know, even this is a small even if this is a small thing, like I know that like she enjoys this a lot or like this would make her smile. Like, And, and those are just the things that really you know, add up. Hmm. And how do you draw the line between knowing and trusting that you know the other person but also not making assumptions all the time because like you said we're changing people like we're constantly evolving and I think it happens often and with family and best friends where we think we know the other person but sometimes hardly keep up with our own selves so um maybe the best thing is to honestly make a mistake because once you make a mistake about that then you know for sure um, that your assumption was wrong mm. or um, you need to dial back on certain assumptions about the other person. Um, and mm. it would lead, making that mistake would lead to certainly another conversation, which will then lead to everything kind of balancing out again, like coming back to equilibrium in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I second that. Um, and honestly, the main reason to to Jane's point, the main reason I second that is because we've talked about that. And, you know, we both, after conversation, came to the same conclusion. So you mentioned that in the beginning, the first few weeks of your relationship, you talked about the fundamental questions of life, about death and life and all of those things. Are you still having those conversations? And if so, or if not, what what kind of things are your common interests? these days um i i definitely think we do have those conversations i i would argue uh, a little less frequently uh but more to do with uh, more because like we're in the transitioning stage and we're just moving out of college and stuff like that um so we we do have some more priorities to, th to think of um and we have slightly less uh, free time i guess or free space in our minds uh to have those conversations uh but you know, a lot of times it could be like hypotheticals um, is kind of our favorite go to. So like, you know, if uh, let's say we wanted to uh, just have one thing, one item to bring to us with an island, like what would it be what would it be and why? Mm -hmm. And then once we say our items, we'd like often start questioning about like, oh, like what if this happened? Like, would you still want that object with you? Um, and I think the fact that both of us find those conversations very interesting, because like, to be honest, like the, there isn't really a point to those conversations, right? Like, because right. um, we're not thinking about, about it in terms of like, oh, this is actually going to happen. So we need to prepare like our response so that we know exactly what we want to do if like we end up stranded. It's, it's more like um, kind of an opening into the way your partner thinks. Um, and kind of having this curiosity about like how their mind moves and flows. Um, and then also seeing how that meshes with the way your own mind meshes and flows. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's almost like, um, I don't know if you remember those Nintendo DS games where like it was oh, like brain yeah. training or something like that. I oh, feel like- I Big Brain Academy. Yeah, Big Brain Academy. <laughs> yeah, those are fun. So for me uh, personally, the conversa those conversations that we have are, uh, kind of like the big brain academy for relationships like in real life i would say yeah i think it's probably we probably keep doing it still because 
we are actually quite different in the way we think, um, more so than probably anyone would believe. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, it just seems like we're always on the same page, but actually in a lot of very fundamental things, we think of things very differently. And that's something that we definitely had to get used to and learn about each other. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, you talked about just coming out of college and how your priorities have transitioned. What are your priorities? And they have they can be different things. Um, I think, well, obviously, um, as I'm moving into my first job, uh, kind of like getting myself ready for the quote unquote real world, um, sort of for the second time, I guess, since I worked <laughs> for this, um, is a focus on my mind. Because now what I really want to be thinking about is long-term planning. Um, like when I was in Cornell, I think I was more focused on, well, my long-term goal was obviously graduation, but on a semester to semester basis, like my focus was like the next test mm -hmm. or the next assignment due. But now like I'm trying to uh, figure out how to like balance things like how do I plan for retirement? Like how am I gonna distribute my funds for like getting my first house and stuff like that? Um, and like what, how am how are Jane and I going to move on in our relationship in terms of working? Uh, because like if, if we're lucky, we'll both get we'll both be in Korea for both of our first jobs. Uh, it, there's a possibility that Jane might go back to Hong Kong for her first job, um, and if that does happen, you know what's our like maybe five year outlook on like where we're going to be, mm -hmm. um, and how we're going to like keep it together. Um, so, and, and I think the, the big, um, the big shock is that like all of these thoughts started happening all at once, once I graduated. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been kind of tough, like to try to manage them, um, and see which one I need to think about first. Um, but I think because they're like more long-term things they're not things that I need to figure out like immediately, that does give me a bit of breathing room. Um, and because of that, I think I'm trying to like convince myself and let myself relax a bit more that it's okay to think about these things a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, it might actually be a mistake to think about them too quickly because uh, if they're, if I'm trying to think about these long terms, there are so many things that could change between now when I make a certain decision about how I want to be a few years later and um, when I actually reach that point. Um, so in that sense, like trying to figure out what kind of I need to think about and try to establish right now versus like leave flexible for the future. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of uh, what's taken up my mind these days, uh, post-graduation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I was quite eager to find my job um, during this fall, past fall semester, um, knowing that I was about to graduate. And honestly, I was rooting for Andrew to get his job too because <laughs> we were kind of planning together, right? Um, in terms of what would happen straight out of uh, graduation. Um, and for me on my side, it was so flexible to the point that it was hard to even focus anywhere or do anything because I felt like I was just throwing things everywhere because I wasn't sure what the plan was. Um, so I was grateful that, um, you know, Andrew got a offer soon enough that I could also make more detailed plans uh, right away. And, you know, I 
was honestly not still not sure at the end of this nearing the end of the semester you know what what do i actually want to do um i know that the first job isn't a determining factor of you know your entire career but i didn't really want to just do anything without really knowing why i wanted to do it mm -hmm. um i think i even if it doesn't matter i still want the first job or whatever job i do to have some meaning to build upon you mm -hmm. know i need a purpose um so for now my short-term goal is to polish my korean hopefully to mm -hmm. a very comfortable conversational uh, level at least first um with locals <laughs> um mm -hmm. and then we'll kind of see how it progresses from there i'm not sure whether you know i'll stay here and look for a job once my korean gets um better or yeah maybe take a break from the language and do you know figure out my first job and everything so it's kind of everywhere right now there's quite a few things to figure out but hopefully along the way while i'm here and i have more time to think um mm -hmm. I'll figure out kind of a direction, a better, a clearer direction. And this is where we are going to wrap up the episode. In the next week, the three of us will continue our discussion on a different topic. So you will hear from Jane and Andrew in the next episode. I hope you enjoy the story about lobsters let me know if you would like to hear more of these type of stories on Brainchild. And again, thank you for listening.